Hey, welcome to Hot Takes. I'm your host, James Scott, here to analyze anything and everything interesting. Let's dig into today's topics. Well, this is going to be an episode. Yeah. This is going to be an episode. So I am going to try and not laugh half the time or yell allegedly at James half the time. And so I'm going to start off very calmly for this episode. Welcome back, everyone. James, do you have any news? Anything you want to talk about for the week? So there's not a lot of news this week. It's kind of a fairly quiet week. Um, It's going to be a fun episode because of what we're covering this week. Um, I mean, I understand a little bit better, I guess, this week, why people in baseball and, and, and front offices do value uh, walks as much as they do because uh, the frequency in which walks can happen is fairly high. Um, I learned this, you know, operating day-to-day operations on a, a fantasy baseball team. That being said, um, I, I'm still of the opinion that hits are completely underrated. Singles are completely underrated because not only can you hit a single against, you know, hard, you know, hard to hit pitch, but singles drive in runs walks don't really do that. Um, but I do understand that for the purposes of frequency and um, for the ability to up a player's ability to hit for power, you know, have them pull the ball more. Um, I understand the, the importance of patience a little bit more right now. That being said, it's not something that I highly, highly value. It's something that's part of the picture. It's part of a balanced lineup. And anytime you have a lineup with too much of it, not only is the team not capable of like winning championships against the highest pitchers in the league, the team gets kind of just boring, boring to watch. It's just Walker Homer, Walker Homer. Nobody's doing anything exciting. There's no first to third. There's no stolen bases. There's no, you know, triples, doubles. It's all just, oh, the pitcher hung a mistake in the zone, 400 feet or a pitcher put a mistake outside the zone enough where he walks to first base. Like, where's the challenge? Where, where's the matchup? Where's the, where's, the, you know what I mean? It just, you're not going to win against elite competition that way. You might win, a, you know, enough games over the course of a full season, you know, by getting mistakes and hitting, you know, home runs with people on base, you know, by, you know, just by, you know, how many runs you're going to put up how many runs the opposing team is going to put up. That's a strategy that can work during the regular season. There's a reason why Oakland has never done anything in the playoffs. It's because this money ball on base percentage power strategy, it only works when you have balance. It only works when you have all these other elements working for you. And if you don't, it, you're not going to get too far once you're facing like higher level pitching, higher level teams in general. You know, if you face, if you happen to go in the playoffs and face a team that's you know a similar level team to yours, then that's great. But you're not you're not going to do that the whole playoffs. You're not going to do that, you know, from wild card to division series, from division series to championship series to World Series. It's just not going to happen. So um, yeah, it's no wonder that they haven't won a championship. And uh, the one year that I thought they you know had a chance was right when the Royals were doing their thing. So, you know, they never were able to make it past them. In fact, uh, you know, talk about making it past them, you know, that their season ended on a ball hit past Donaldson, their third baseman at the time 
by Salvador Perez, who's still with the Royals. So um, it's just, you know, it, it's just very interesting how you can even have multiple teams capable of winning a championship in one year, but one will beat out the other. And even if it's, if it's in as simple of a game as like the wild card game, for instance, then what's going to end up happening is people are going to forget how good the team was. Oakland A's of, I think, 2015, it might have been, were really dominant. They had Donaldson, they had Cespedes, they had a couple other guys. So anyway, before I get caught, uh, caught up in you know that point and all of that, let's get my least favorite team in all of baseball out of the way with our divisional <laughs> rankings. You know, we talk about the, the best team in, in each league, the second best team in each league. We work our way from the bottom to, to, the, to the top. You know, uh, each one of these episodes that we do, we usually cover, like, you know, if it's the third best team in the American League Central, then right after we cover that one in the same episode, we will be covering the third best team in the National League Central. So now we have worked our way around where I think we're on some of the last teams on our list. You and really right now, dislike this team so much yes. that to avoid saying their name, you, <laughs> you are just... They're terrible. <laughs> you, <laughs> you're just reacting what we do every episode. <laughs> yeah, no, they're 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 terrible. They're terrible. Uh, they're they're. Uh, this is the thing. Like they don't have to be terrible. They chose to be terrible. Like, you know, you can you can come to the game and you can compete and you can try and you know win, but if you break the freaking rules you know if you break the i'm not allowed to say other words there but if you break the rules okay if you break the rules and and then you get no punishments you're gonna hear it for years from From james (laughs) (laughs) from james (laughs) yeah yeah exactly man like i'm i'm not gonna lay off i'm i'm so I don't, I don't, I don't tolerate this in any way whatsoever. You know, we had an era where there was steroids and it was prevalent. Every team had guys doing it, you know, now we have one team getting away with winning the championship by cheating. Nah, 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 nah. People need to get banned from baseball for life for this happening. But instead, you know, nothing really happened like they the players suffered little fines i believe and uh then if you look at what happened with the managers the managers who were all part part you know involved they were suspended for a year they're back all of them like where's the consequences where's the justice for for ruining the one last sacred thing in baseball the one last thing that wasn't tainted you know teams have tried to throw the world series before to lose it on purpose no one's tried to win it throw it by winning it you know cheat and win um you know people have cheated on an individual basis you know steroids yes it was it was spread out throughout baseball but also you have to remember that a steroid using players one guy on a team you still need everybody to play as a cohesive unit to win a world series so for the astros to do what they did was unforgivable unfathomable and then on top of all of that they got away with it so i'm never 
I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop until we have justice, until this team is banned from baseball and turned into the Montreal Expos, which should have never left, or maybe they get turned into, you know, a, a new team in like Charlotte, North Carolina. Charlotte's one of the team for a while. You know, it, I, I don't think that, that, that Houston deserves a team. You know, the Texas, they got Texas Rangers or in Arlington, you know, you, you've lost your privileges. You've lost your having a team privileges. You know, I'm sure there's a bunch of uh, people in Brooklyn who, you know, their, their parents were Dodgers fans. They'd love to see the Dodgers come back to the city. You know, there's, there's innumerable places around, around our country. And like, even in places that are like, there's been people thinking about, Hey, maybe we should make a team in Mexico city or something like that. You know, like anywhere, anywhere is more deserving than this place than this owner, than this team. Uh, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with them. I'm done with them. I'm sorry. I mean, not really. So uh, it's just, yeah, they suck. They suck. In my eyes, they suck. So um, <laughs> uh, look, they got Granky, who's on, you know, my fantasy team. But, you know, uh, I, I don't really view Granky as a cheater because he's a pitcher. You know, it was the lineup that cheated from what we understand. Although Trevor Bauer reports that the, the pitching rotation, a lot of their pitchers, they gained a whole bunch of RPM. I'm not aware that Grinky did. I think Grinky's whole thing is that he likes to mix pitches up. He likes to throw 50 miles an hour like he did the other day. I think he threw a 51 mile an hour pitch the other day, which is insane because he's capable of throwing like 94 as well. So how are you going to do that? How are you going to hit that? You know, so uh, a big fan of Grinky. Um, I don't view him as part of that. He's definitely a weird guy, but so am I. So <laughs> um, Lance McCullers, he was with the cheating team, and he's also a bit of a jerk, allegedly. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I gonna... <laughs> so I knew you were going to. So I knew you were going to hit me with that, man. Um, I had to bring it up first. So, you know, it's like diffusing the bomb. I believe there's actually a psychological term for that. Um, I got to remember, I got to remember that one. That, because there, there is a, a psychological term for um, like, if, if you know that you're about to like have a scandal or something politically, mm -hmm. um, there's this term for being able to defuse what you'd get in trouble for uh, before you get in trouble for it by basically like, um, like detonating the bomb yourself by like coming forward with the information yourself because then there's nothing for, for anyone to feed off of. It's just kind of there, you know? So, um, but there's a term for that. It's, it's a really interesting term. I learned about it the other day and I learned that it's something that, that politicians do to kind of like deflect and whatnot. So anyway, uh, get back to the Astros. Um, no, Lance McCullers is a guy who was with those teams and he's, yeah, he's kind of, you know, not the nicest guy from what I've seen. Um, they got Odorizzi because they had a whole bunch of injuries. So he's kind of like a four starter. Uh, he'll come in and, and, and replace guys as well as he can, but he's no Valdez. He's no Verlander. Um, they got Stanek, who's an interesting opener type reliever ish pitcher. I mean, an opener is kind of a reliever, kind of not, but I think I, it's basically a reliever. You know, if we didn't have openers, it would be a middle reliever. And they also have Ryan Presley, uh, who's their closer. He's a former middle reliever. I believe he played for the Twins 
recently, but he's nothing ridiculously special. He just gives them a decent closer. Uh, and that's all they have from a pitching side of things. Um, there's absolutely nobody specifically notable catchers like Jason Castro. Who cares? You know, he's not that great. Um, in the infield, they still have Yuli at first base, but, you know, he couldn't hit without knowing what pitches were coming. Uh, this year he started off really hot, but, you know, who knows if that's because, you know, now as a contact hitter, he has to work the count and get to more hittable pitches. So he does have a good swing, but he needs better pitches to hit. So him now having to be this type of hitter might be beneficial to him, but it also might be like a short-term game where like, oh, he's getting success. He, you know, he's, he's getting a lot of success because now he's walking a lot because, you know, pitchers don't know that they can, you know, go in the zone and go, you know, fastball, breaking ball or fastball change up with him. Um, so that might be like an early season thing. And then once they start attacking the zone, maybe his success on balls and play goes down. Um, and, you know, maybe it's just, you know, luck on balls and play that's keeping him here along with pitchers, not necessarily attacking the zone, not knowing that his approach has changed. And I think that, um, that's why you sometimes have hitters do really good for like the first month and then they can't do anything for the rest of the year. So, um, Aledmiz Diaz is a guy I've always liked. I like his, his, his hit tool. Uh, the Astros are a very hit tool heavy team, which is kind of no wonder because if you know what pitches are coming and you're really good at making contact, well, what do you think is going to happen? You know, <laughs> um, they have Correa still, uh, at short with all of his back problems outside of, you know, 2019 and, um, 2017, uh, Correa has not really been that great of a player. Last year, he was right around league average, a little bit below league average. Could take away like seven games of his season. He was actually hitting in the 100s uh, with, a, with like a slugging percentage in the 300s. And if you look at his numbers in like 2018, 2018 around an injury, he was about league average. You look at his numbers in, you know, it was either 2016 or 2015. One of those two years, he was like only 20 something percent above league average. The other one, he was a rookie league didn't really know him so uh there's a high chance that you know with with Correa's consistent back problems and now without knowing what pitches are coming and also without the juiced ball that he's not going to be the guy he used to be but um after a year like last year Correa is the kind of guy where he's got you know he's got an ego so he's allegedly um <laughs> no but he's got no he's got an ego if anyone has an ego Correa has, you know, he even knows it i mean how could he not um but yeah no this is a guy who he he, he knows that he's capable of putting up performance and he just had a year work where it you know was proven that without you know these things working for him that he he's not even you know an above average player he's like league average you know and what would be a lot worse if not for a seven game stretch so I do think that it's possible that he comes in and has a really good start like he has so far. And then because of it injures his back, I think you're going to see that from a lot of their players. I mean, we've already seen it from Springer who's left the team. He's been getting oblique issues. I believe it's either hamstring or oblique. I believe it's oblique and he's been out, you know, consistently for the blue Jays uh, Bregman. He's been having hamstring issues after he put on like 27, 23 pounds of muscle this offseason. 
And then you have Altuve, who, who now is hurt. So all of these guys doing whatever they can to recover, you know, their numbers to some, you know, rel- some sort of semblance of, of relevance, um, they're all now getting, getting hurt because they're pushing their bodies uh, further than their bodies, you know, are comfortably able to go. You know, it's not like you can just turn back the clock after years of just, you know, sitting on a gimmick, if you will being cheaters, losers. So anyway, um, <laughs> they, I'm sorry. I just, I don't have any chill for these guys. Like this is, this is like every other player in baseball, including, you know, players in the minor leagues, like they're thankful to be there. Okay. To just be in the show. And these guys are winning a championship off of cheating. Think about that for a second. Like just the contrast there. Thankful for being there. Thank that, you know, they always talk about, you know, thanking, you know, their higher power. You know, like I don't see any true thankfulness in any way on this team. Anytime where you you hear a post-game interview where Correa is like, I'd like to thank, you know, whichever higher power he believes in. And he's, he's, he's had a lot of, you know, post-game conferences. I don't want to, you know, mischaracterize, you know, whatever religion he believes in. But he's had a lot of them where he has thanked God, if you will. Um, it, it just, it, it seems absolutely hollow. God would not want this if there is a God. Like, so what is he going to say, you know, if you do believe in such things, when he dies, right, and he goes to the golden arches or whatever you believe, right, and he says, you know, hey, I'm Carlos Correa, and they, you know, they ask him, you know, in a game where everybody is working, you know, as hard as they can from the youngest age to make it to the highest level, and they're just thankful for being there why did you think it was okay to cheat? And, you know, Correa says, you know, well, you don't know the deals. You don't know the details. You don't know. So you should just be quiet. Like he said to Cody Bellinger. He said, oh, Cody Bellinger, you don't know the details. So you should be quiet. In an interview, he said this live television. You think that they're going to let you into heaven or, or wherever, you know? And even if you don't believe in those types of things, you think that you're cultivating good energy. If, you know, energy transfers, we're all full of it. So if if you believe that energy just, you know, is what we are, you think that you're going to be, you know, transferring as a positive force here? Or do you think that you're going to be transferring as a negative force and just staying negative energy in whichever next, you know, substance you inhabit, be it a rock or TV, like, are you, do you really, do you, does this sit well with your soul is, I guess, my deeper question here. What were you thinking? So anyway, <laughs> not, you know, we're not, um, I'm like, oh my God, this isn't, this isn't law and order here or anything. It's just, I don't like these guys at <laughs> all. Um, like grilling every player as you pass by that. <laughs> like, it's just, I don't know what they were thinking. Like I had respect for these guys when they were in the minors, when they were first coming up, I was like, man, Altuve at his height to be able to do what he's able to do. I respect that. And, you know, like 
Yuli Guriel, he's known as the Derek Jeter of Cuba. Like, oh my God, like that just by itself deserves respect, you know? He's like going to be in the Cuban Hall of Fame if there is such a thing, you know, made. He definitely would be in there. Um, and then, you know, you know, he also his younger brother's in it. So now this is kind of like a legacy name, potentially, the Guriels. Um, and then, you know, you have Correa, who I've been watching since he was like 16 years old. I got all these fuzzy videos that I got in the back of my mind of him fielding balls at shortstop and just watching his footwork and just being like, oh, man. I like this guy. If he doesn't stay at short, he'll, he'll be a great third baseman, but he, he might be a, one of those guys who's bigger and able to stay at short. I remember looking at Bregman and being like, oh my God. I mean, for a shorter guy, he's got the perfect approach. He hits for power contact. Um, and then longer term, when Correa gets bigger and slows down, you're going to be moving Correa to, to third and Bregman will be your shortstop. Think about that offense at short. Like, I loved these guys. Springer, when he put up those numbers in the playoffs, in the specifically the World Series in 2017, I was like, oh my God, I want this guy on my team. People who can hit like that in the playoffs, who are that young, meaning they have you know their whole career ahead of them, better years ahead of them. If you don't have pressure on you and you're able to perform at that level at that age, mm-hmm. think about how it's going to be in the future when you get to the playoffs. It, again, the pressure won't be there you'll be still in your prime, if not even a better player. Like I was, I was ecstatic. Like I loved these guys, you know, uh, Josh Reddick, a guy who could go over the fence, Rob Homers uh, hit for, for as much average as you could expect a lefty to hit for in a shifty, you know, a shift heavy league. Um, and, and, you know, he could go first to third as well. He was a decent base runner left, uh, you know, lefty hitter, like I mentioned, but also a guy who could, um, gun out runners in the outfield cannon of a throwing arm uh and when you have all that together you know contact little bit of power lefty bat uh throw runners out from the outfield above average rob home runs i mean that's a fun player like they had a team of guys that i respected this is why i feel so i guess you know you know just Ah, this is why I feel the way that I do. I, this is why I feel uh, livid, as I guess the right word for it. Because these were all guys who, like from the youngest stage, from the first time I found out about them, you know, in the minor leagues even, you know, in the draft or, or internationally with regards to Correa. Um, these were guys that I really was excited about and I, and I, I, I you know, admired in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm in my twenties, man. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 30 next year, 29 this summer, 30 next year. Okay. And this hurt me, you know? So I can only imagine, what do you think it did for kids? You know what, and, you know, it's, you could be like, Oh, well, you know, what kids are going to be impacted by this? Okay. Maybe, Maybe, you know, you have people who are kids who are, you know, fans of other teams that are going to be like, ah, whatever, you know, it's not my team. You know, I can hate on them, you know. Um, But what about fans of the Houston Astros? What about all those kids in Texas? You know, what? I mean, I would be crying, like, anytime anyone brought them up, if I was, like, because that's the team that I grew up on. That's the team where they won the World Series, their first World Series. 
you know, I look up to Bregman. I wear, you know, like I have all of his jerseys. I, you know, these kids, they get attached to players. I saw a YouTube video of a kid when uh, a player for, for the Blue Jays got traded. He found out or she found out. And I think it was a girl. She found out that the guy got traded and she literally like broke down crying. So a lot of these kids, this, this is real, especially when, you know, you're an organization that clearly commits to some of these guys long-term, like they've committed to Altuve long-term, they've committed to Correa and Bregman long-term, you know, and, and, and Springer, they thought, you know, fans thought that he was going to be a long-term guy. So I think, um, I think it's a betrayal Um, and like, not even like anything close to an okay one. Because it, it, it's a, like, just think of the children. I, mean, I don't want to use that saying, but actually, like, think of them. Like, that's awful. If it's impact, impacting me, and I'm like a fan of a different team, mind you, the most successful team. I mean, do we really need another championship? You know what I mean? Like, it's affecting me. Then how do you think it's affecting them when it's their only championship? You know, when it's their, their stars, their, their heroes. Like, how dare you, you know? How dare you do that? So this is why I feel the way I do. I mean, I, I looked up to these guys. So, you know, it's a shame. Shameful. So um, Brantley's on their team. He came onto their team, uh, I believe, after they won the championship. He's another one of those contact bats. Um, a lot of people are bigger on him than I am. Uh, I understand that, you know, he doesn't really strike out. He gets on base a lot. Hits for a decent amount of power. He's lefty and hits for contact. But I've never figured where that ever fit on my team. And all the people that I know who like him are either Yankee fans or, like, fans of teams that need outfield help. And I know most Yankee fans are like, oh, we should have gotten Brantley instead of, you know, this guy or that guy, or, you know, we should have traded Frazier and not brought back Gardner and, you know, had Brantley in there. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, the fans just clowning because, you know, they want to make all these millions of moves and because the millions of moves are done, you know, that's the reason why we'll win a championship because everything has to change because everything's always wrong, right? Miss me with that. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> you, you know how they say it. Miss me with that. Yeah, miss me with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then lastly, uh, you know, the, the Astros do have Abraham Toro, interesting prospect. They have Chaz uh, McCormick, another interesting prospect. Nobody who's really like top end there between the two of them. Um, Straw can cover a lot of ground in the outfield. If he can hit, you got a player, but that's a big if. You know, McCormick is also pretty much an if. Um, Toro should hit enough to be a regular, especially with the lineup protection that they have. But, um, I mean, even him, he's not, like, going to be middle of the order. He's more of, like, a six-hole hitter, seven-hole hitter, you know, back end of the middle of the order. Um, I will say I love Kyle Tucker's swing. That being said, there is a chance because of the type of swing that it is and how unique it is that it may take longer for him to fully adapt to the big leagues. That being said, once he gets his timing down, I think it's going to be a really, 
rare swing, a beneficial swing, and it'll make him an incredibly valuable player for a few years. Definitely watch Kyle Tucker and don't discount how fast he is either. Lefty can make contact and it power very fast corner outfielder. Uh, not the greatest corner outfielder, but definitely not a problem. Um, but yeah, that's Tucker. Um, I believe his, his younger brother, Cole Tucker, is um, with the Pirates organization. He's a shortstop. Um, I think that that's his younger brother. You know, no, no, that is his younger brother. I don't think. I know that one. Um, and that's the Houston Astros. Um, Verlander, uh, Framber Valdez, and uh, Forrest Whitley all got Tommy John which sunk their rotation. Um, Odorizzi's not going to be enough to make up for it. Grinky's good. Uh, McCullers allows more homers every single year, so I don't really trust him. Um, and they have a good lineup, but it's going to get hurt because all of them have had to be basically either hot and cold hitters or just patient hitters because they've lost a lot of that natural hit tool from not knowing what pitches are coming. I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? Because a lot of that hit tool is, you know, very rare skill. So for you to go from knowing what pitches are coming and being able to make contact and then having to adjust just in case it's not the pitch that you thought was coming, I mean, that it, it seems like, you know, you'd foul off a lot more pitches. You'd work deeper counts. You'd have to get better at pitch identification. All of that trends towards being a patient hitter now. All of that, all of being a patient hitter all of a sudden also trends towards, you know, being a hot and cold player, not having your bad path ironed out early in the season, possibly. Or maybe you've shifted your approach to try and make yourself work as, as, a, as a different type of hitter. And it's the type of approach that the other teams, the other part of the league can account for. And we'll know about that by the end of the second month of the season. Whoever's fallen off a cliff at that point in time, that's a huge red flag for Houston. So Houston, you know, heck, they might even be a team that goes and, and, and drops back to, uh, you know, even third in the division, um, which, you know, I'd be cheering for. I, I hope that we don't hear about Houston for years. They do not deserve it. Um, like literally let everyone from the championship team leave, let them all go. Like let, let, let Correa's career end. let Altuve's career end. let Bregman's career end. like so on and so forth. And, and then you can be good again. I don't want to hear about you guys other than that. I mean, I will speak on you guys. I will rip you guys to shreds because you deserve it. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's all I have to say. This is uh, a team that I think is only ranked as high as they are by me because of the history. Uh, they do have, you know, a good deal of, I, I'm not going to say high-end players, but I'm going to say for sure production. Because even with the injuries that they're going to have when their guys are healthy, as the new versions of themselves, the more patient versions of themselves, they're going to walk. And uh, with that many walks and, you know, how much mistake pitches you get per year, 
they'll be able to drive in enough runs where they'll be competitive. Um, I don't know to what degree Bregman and Correa will be able to turn back the clock. Um, Altuve seems to have turned back the clock in terms of the type of player he is. No power now. That's who he is now. He's all, I'm either going to walk or I'm going to hit singles. So that's an interesting profile. He's getting on base a lot more, but he's kind of given up altogether the ability to hit for power. Um, that's the side of the scale that he's gone towards. I think that likely because Bregman was already patient and because of the type of player Correa is, it's a high likelihood that both of them become more of the hot and cold players or, or either that or just way more on the patient side. Um, Yuli Guriel is kind of the wild card because he was a very contact-oriented hitter and he could have actually done better if he worked the count deeper, but also he may not be able to work the count deeper without sacrificing his ability to make, you know, any sort of hard contact. Like, I think he's at that point in his career where like, it it might be, it might be like, this is the thing, he's a contact bat, but he's also the kind of contact bat where, each year he's making lighter contact. So right now we're not seeing a lot of out of play power. We're seeing a lot of in play power. We're seeing a lot of walks out of him. But I think that that's because people are still pitching him the way they used to, that he was, you know, swinging all the time, that he's a contact bat. So they're giving him more balls. But I think once they start attacking him in zone, I think there's a high likelihood that even his in play increase in power goes away. So, um, but yeah, that's the Astros. That's all I want to say on them. I don't like, you know, I don't like them at all. At all. So uh, that will be the second place team in the American League West. Um, Let's move to the National League West. (laughs) Uh, a A much more fun team to talk about. Actually, honestly, one of the funnest teams to talk about, if not the funnest team to talk about, in all of baseball, a, a team that's already gotten a no-hitter this year. Joe Musgrove pitched it, um, and that's the San Diego Padres. Padres I got finishing in second place just behind the Dodgers. Um, I am convinced that this team has the most starting pitching in Major League Baseball. They got Musgrove. They got Darvish. They got Snell. They got Lamette. They got Clevenger, who will be back next year they got adrian morjan i believe that's how you say his name um they got mackenzie gore they got chris paddock they got i mean it just it goes on and on and on and on and it's no other team can match them in terms of starting pitching um and they also have a pretty decent bullpen they have pomeranz they have melanson um i think at some point in time Emilio Pagan's going to pitch like he used to. So um, they do have Anderson Espinosa, who, you know, could come in and, and be in the bullpen. Uh, they have Keone Kella, who's a good reliever. Um, Morjan also can move to the bullpen. And I also think that there's a high likelihood that as the season progresses and Gore moves into the rotation, that Chris Paddock joins the pen because he's a two-pitch pitcher. So they have tons of pitching absolutely tons of pitching and i do want to mention 
Snell is a guy who, when he's right, he needs to be in an organization that's not like Tampa. Because when he's right, you need to let him just keep pitching. Tampa, they taking him out of the game in the playoffs like Tampa did was ma- what made them lose the World Series. I mean, like, like it, it pretty much was the reason why they, they didn't win last year. Um, and I think that now that Snell is, you know, on a different team in the National League where they're a lot more willing to kind of let players be players, at least that's from, from what I've seen, um, it seems like once Snell is, you know, built up to where he usually is, that he's going to be able to go much deeper into games on a consistent basis, um, especially, you know, with a new manager, new league, all of it. I think it's going to work really in his favor. You Darvish, I think, is one of the most dangerous pitchers in baseball. Joe Musgrove was really starting to emerge as the season went on last year. We saw him pitch a perfect game already this year. Um, so, like, this is literally as high-end starting pitching as it gets. Even Denelson Lamette last year, the guy, like, for the third year in a row, dropped his ERA, and his ERA was almost in the twos. It was in the low threes. Like, these guys are aces. Even Clevenger, everybody knows Clevenger as, like, one of, if not, like, the ace for a minute of the Indians before Bieber came along while Kluber was out. Uh, Clevenger, he's that good. He's out all year this year, sure. But that just gives them another arm next year. And then on top of that, um, Mackenzie Gore is commonly viewed as, like, the best starting pitcher uh, in, in the minor leagues. So they they have more than enough pitching um as far as hitting goes they have a catcher platoon right now of nola and caratini uh nola's hurt he's on the 10-day il but he'll be back um nola strikes me as a guy who's going to hit lefties that's it i don't like him that much he's a good backup caratini he could hit righties but I'm also not the hugest fan of his bat. Apparently he's a great game caller because not only did he catch uh, the perfect game from, uh, I believe it was Alec Mills for the Cubs, but he also caught the perfect game for Musgrove. So he's a really great game caller, but he needs to pick it up offensively. The good news is that they have Campusano behind both of those guys who, um, he had a marijuana offense and that's why he was suspended for a little bit, but I think he's going to be back from that. It's kind of a, you know, in this day and age, a ridiculous offense. You can't really be like, Oh, he's a drugie or anything. Dude, it's weed. It's weed. You know, um, like not that I, you know, condone anyone using weed, you know, everybody has their own things going on. It's just like, as suspensions go, uh, it's kind of like, you know, Seems like a slap on the wrist suspension. It's not like, you know, oh, he missed time because of an injury that'll be repeatable or, oh, he has a drinking problem or, you know, like a DUI, you know, that kind of thing, you know, or like, um, you know, he hit his girlfriend like we see sometimes in football and baseball. Um, you know, that's always awful when we hear about, you know, things like that or, you know, it, it, it's just he got caught with some pot <laughs> and that's it. So, um, I don't really blame him too much. He's a great, he's a great player, really good catching prospect. Um, so that probably is their future at catcher. Um, but for the short term, like, I, I guess the hope is this year at some point, Capusano is ready. Um, and it is a real possibility that by the end of the year, he'll be ready. But at least until then, they have Caratini, they have Nola, 
that's fine enough. They have Hosmer at first base, who like really learned how to pull the ball and put the ball in the air last year, um, which is something that he's needed to learn his entire career um, because he hits the ball very hard and hits the ball consistently. He just would hit it on the ground a lot and he'd hit it across fields. So now that he's pulling the ball and he's hitting it, he's hitting it more in the air, he's hitting it frequently enough and he's hitting it hard enough where now you're starting to see a real, real profile from a first baseman, not just, you know, a contact lefty profile bat, which is rare at first base, sure. But now you're starting to see like a true middle of the order guy in all ways. Um, so that's really cool to see at first. You know, we've been, we've been waiting for that out of Hosmer. Tatis, you know, he injured his shoulder. At some point, he'll be back this year. Kind of reminds me of something that happened to Derek Jeter. I believe it happened in 2003, I think it was. Um, I think they were playing, it was either opening day or it was around opening day. They were playing against, the, I think it was the Blue Jays. Jeter went into third base, and I think the third baseman came down right on him, and it popped his shoulder out of place. Um, but it ended up not being, you know, that really that much of an, an issue. Um, because he did miss some time. Yes. You know, he needed to recover from it and whatnot, but he ended up playing still in 119 games. And I could see exactly that from Tatis. He got injured so early in the year. It, you know, it was the type of uh, dislocation of a shoulder where it came out and then went back in and it was minor. So yeah, I could see this being like a situation where people watch it and they were like, Oh no, he's going to be out the whole year. And then in like three weeks, he's back. So um, yeah, I think that that's probably going to be what we see at short. Uh, but until, until then, uh, we got Ha Song Kim, who uh, came over uh, from Asia this, this offseason. Um, he's very young for someone to come over. Um, and watching him at the plate in spring training, you know, I got to watch him a lot because um, Peoria is right around the corner from, from where I live. So I got to go by and see a few games where he played. Uh, I think I saw four games with him in it, three games with him in it, something like that. And um, what I found is that Kim has a great build for a ball player, especially, you know, someone of his height. He's very, you know, long legs for someone of his height, someone as short as, as he is. Um, but also, uh, perhaps the bigger thing with Kim is that Kim has a fantastic swing. The issue is that his timing is completely off. I think what'll help with that is getting reps, you know, being in the big leagues and getting everyday reps. So during this time that Tatis is out, it's kind of perfect because Kim, he just gets to take over shortstop and shows what he's got and get his, uh, you know, his reps and get his uh, timing down. Um, and they're probably not going to have him near the top of the lineup, to be fair, but uh, it works really perfectly. Uh, Cronenworth is also going to do really good in the short term. So you can get him some reps in there too. Um, you know, he's going to be a guy who at least the first half of the season will hit like he did last year before, you know, pitchers start to really figure out how to, you know, go about pitching to him. Um, but if you can use him, not regularly, like use him off the bench, you might even get him to be better. Like, you know, like good for more than the first half, good for the whole season. Uh, cause you're just reducing his exposure. Um, so that's probably what they're going to do with him. I've also heard rumors of them trying Cronenworth in the outfield. Um, and then, you know, you have Profar, who can play second base for you, who's on my fantasy team. I'm a huge fan of Profar. Like, he walks, like, he, he, he pimps walks like McCutcheon. 
he walks all the time. And he also hits for decent contact, but he's one of those guys where like he's doing this on purpose. So he can really recognize pitches better because later in the seasons when the power starts to come in. So Profar has been fantastic for the Padres so far. Um, They also have Jorge Mateo who in limited time that he's been playing for them at the big league level, he's actually been pretty decent hitting for a little bit of contact, hitting for a little bit of power, not very much on base percentage, but when, you know, you, can run like he does when any, whenever you are on base, you're putting yourself in scoring position. Um, if you're hitting for power, then not only are you putting yourself in scoring position, but you're probably scoring other people. And if you're hitting for average, then you're consistently hitting. So I don't mind him being this type of hitter. I just know that Mateo has a scouting reputation, not something that I've seen, but something that scouts have said they've seen of having a poor baseball IQ. Uh, I really hope that this is not the case because Jorge Mateo is one of the fastest players that I've ever seen in my entire life. It'd be a shame if that speed was wasted. Like this is a guy who I've seen go around the bases, like on an inside the park home run faster than peak Billy Hamilton. And you got to remember Billy Hamilton started as a le- in the left-handed batter's box. Mateo's a righty. So he was a couple steps that, you know, Hamilton, you know, wouldn't have to put in behind Hamilton just by being in the other batter's box. And he was able to best him on an inside the park home run in the minors. So yeah, Mateo is insanely fast and, you know, him being on that team is a huge deal. Um, Not to mention the fact that they also have the man, Manny Machado, uh, at third base uh, for them. Uh, now, Machado's an interesting player. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Robinson Cano. Uh, Cano didn't have a, like, Cano, the big rip on Cano by Yankee fans when he was with the Yankees is that Cano didn't run balls out. And that's kind of what Machado is, he, he, like, is ripped on for, that he turns doubles into singles because he doesn't really run hard on balls that, you know, he hits. Um, And this may be the case, but Machado also never gets hurt, just like Cano during those years. And Machado also hits for batting average, which Cano did during those years. And Machado also hits for power, which Cano did during those years. And Machado makes insane plays at second or at at third base, whereas Cano made insane plays at second base during those years. Um, I think you know, how their defense is evaluated is also similar where, uh, it, you know, I think it was his first year in San Diego, the defensive numbers said that he wasn't really that good. And I think, you know, certain defensive numbers said that Robinson Cano wasn't really that good back in the day, but anyone knowing watching or, you know, Cano or watching Machado knows those players knows that that's not the case. Both of them were phenomenal and are phenomenal defenders. It's just you see players like Cano so that they can stay healthy for the whole year, like Machado, so that they can stay healthy for the whole year. They specifically put in their best efforts when there's a runner on base, when the game is close, when it's a really important game. So in normal situations, maybe they're not too good, but that keeps them able to play 160 games a year, 155 games a year. So, you know, I used to rip on Machado for a lot of the whole, like, you're going to run out balls, man. You're turning doubles into singles. 
Uh, but looking at how healthy he's able to keep himself and knowing how, you know, Cano was and how it, it, this is a very valuable player, you just have to, you know, understand that, you know, in order to get that, that type of value, you know, you're only going to get certain types of effort out of them at certain times. Well, it's in big moments where you're getting those levels of effort. So really, how much of a hit is that, you know? As long as you're surrounding them with, with consistent guys, I don't have a problem with these types of players, especially because of how high-end they are. Um, so that takes care of basically the infield. The outfield, you have Will Myers, who's a fantastic hitter, very underrated base runner. My guy puts up fantastic BSRs on a year-to-year basis. Um, then you got Profar, who can rotate out there as well. You got Fam, who... He's, getting, he's gotten a little bit worse each year that Pham has been in the league. Um, I'm starting to think that maybe Pham was one of those Cardinals guys who had like a lot of polish and was just like fast enough and strong enough at peak where he was able to sustain it a couple of years. And that's why he's still been able to be good because, you know, look, or maybe, maybe, maybe it's, you know, the stabbing. He got stabbed during the offseason. I think it's like the second time he's been stabbed. Just some wild stuff. Um, stabbed for what? I don't really know, but it could affect his performance. That's for sure. Um, I do like his stance change, his batting stance change. Um, so I'm hoping that he can <laughs> come back, but um, we haven't seen much of anything from him this year or last year. Um, and then the year before that he was performing, but it was with the juiced ball. So it might even be like three years of him not being the guy anymore. Um, so that kind of stinks. Um, I'm also not the biggest, you know, believer in Trent, uh, Trent Grisham. I think if you look at Trent Grisham's numbers, a lot of them, it, you know, they came into existence from the juiced ball being in AAA and the big leagues in 2019. And then it came from, the league not knowing him and him being a patient, polished hitter in the big leagues who just pulls everything he hits. So I think that, you know, Grisham may not be quite as good as a lot of people give him credit for. Um, and, you know, Jorge Ona, he, he looks like a hitter, but I'd keep him in AAA a little bit longer to make sure that the strikeout issues aren't going to rear their ugly head again. First year in the big leagues, he had like a 46% strikeout rate. That's not something that really works for me but he clearly has a big league bat. And if you hide him in left field, um, I think that that'll kind of work, um, especially if they have a you know, really good working center fielder. Um, I like the idea of putting Profar at uh, second base. I like the idea of trying to get Kim reps during this period of time that Tatis is out, um, especially with Ona being out as well. Um, like, honestly, I would start platooning Fam and Grisham Try to see if Fam can at least hit lefties. Grisham can then hit righties. And if you can't get that out of them, I would trade both of them. Put Mateo in center field because that's kind of Mateo's main position. And with his speed, you need to just let him go and run. And just, you know, whatever balls are hit out there, you have jurisdiction. Everybody else has to defer to you. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe that allows them to cover up some of Jorge Ona. Um, and better utilize, you know, Will Myers and his arm. Um, but, you know, make no mistake, this is an offense first team, you know, whether it be hitting consistently, hitting for power, walking, uh, running the bases, 
Um, this is a very offense first team. Um, I really want to see Jorge Ona in the big leagues this year. I'm not sure it's going to happen. I really want to see Mateo take over center field for them this year. I'm not sure it's going to happen. Um, I really hope that, you know, Kim ends up getting a super utility role. And then when they end up making moves, I really hope that Grisham, Pham, and uh, Cronenworth are those moves because I think they could get a lot in return for all of them. And I also think this is probably the best that you're going to get out of Cronenworth before the league adapts. Um, and I really want to see Campusino in the big leagues too, because that would be a really fun team to watch. Campusino at catcher, your top prospect, you know, catching, you know, could do defense, can do offense. That's exciting, to say the least. You have Hosmer, who's a fantastic playoff hitter and really coming into his own as a power hitter these days. So you have him at first. You have Machado, Manny freaking the man Machado at third. You have Tatis coming back for short. You have at second base, you know, pro far, or if Kim has figured out his timing, you put Kim there and you use pro far as your super utility because he can kind of play a whole bunch of positions. You go with Mateo in center field. So you have the fastest guy on earth, basically in center field. Like that would be, that would be really cool. Having Mateo in center field. Like then you have Will Myers, very fast and middle of the order hitter in right field. You have Jorge Ona, who's not very fast, but, definite middle of the order hitter in left field. I mean, that would be a really exciting team. You know, like Caratini's good, but boring. I'd love him as a backup. You know, Nola's boring to me. Um, uh, Haslong Kim, I like him, but he needs to get his timing down. I almost think that he'd be better in AAA just for like the first few months of the season. But with Tatis down, he's going to be able to get the timing at the big league level. So I think that's, that's actually... Now that I think about it, almost more advisable situation. Better to learn in the big leagues than AAA. Um, especially when, like, you know, the, the previous level that you were playing at is basically, like, AAA caliber. Um, Cronenworth is valuable, but you got to use him as a super utility player. You can't fool yourself into thinking that this guy's an everyday player. You also can't fool yourself into thinking that he should be playing over Kim or that he should be playing over pro far. Um, that would be a bad idea, but he does have a lot of values. So maybe hang on to him. Um, but Grisham, like at best, Grisham's going to hit righties. At best, Fam's going to hit lefties, I think. You, you hope that Fam's production comes back. Uh, I like his stance. Like I said, it looks a lot like it, it, his new stance looks like it's engaging the back elbow a lot better. And if you're going to hit for power, you have to be able to engage the back elbow. And in order to engage the back elbow, you have to utilize your shoulder. And this is why, like, when you see people who are typically power hitters, they don't bat like this. They bat like this. See how the shoulder is on par with the elbow being up? Because when you load, that brings this. You see how it's back at that angle? Mm -hmm. And then when you come around with the bat, you you're really able to drop the bat more because of where your arm is, where your shoulders, whereas if you're already starting low, then you're just kind of extending your elbows when you're hitting. Mm. It doesn't allow you to use your shoulders in any way whatsoever. So some of the best power hitters, they always start like this. Uh, you'll see it in Harper. You'll see it in Otani. You'll see it in, you know, judge, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, now it's not it's not foolproof. It's not every single guy, but it's it's most 
of them. Um, and the ones that, that don't start like that, they always have some sort of like that movement, hand movement thing that they do. So, um, but either way, I mean, I just named a ton of players that are of value on the Padres roster. Profar, Fam, Ona, uh, Onya, maybe? I think it has a hyphen over the end. So I think Onya. Mm-hmm. Um, Myers, Grisham, Tatis, Mateo, Machado, Kim, Hosmer, Cronenworth, Nola, Caratini, and then Campusino, if he can come up. That is uh, that is more than enough position players. And it, they have the whole season to sort through them. Uh, you know, same thing with their pitchers. They got the whole season to sort through them. It's going to make them very dangerous in the playoffs. And if they can somehow make it past the number one team in their division, my goodness gracious, they could do, they could do almost anything. They could, like, if they could make it past the Dodgers, you got to remember, they'll have a full, they'll have a full series if they make it past the Dodgers. They'll have a full five game series. They win that division. And heck, you know, if they, uh, if they get a wild card spot and they win the wild card game, they get a full series. So, um, no, I think the Padres definitely are, are one of the most dangerous teams in baseball, one of the deepest teams in baseball, one of the funnest teams to watch in baseball, one of the funnest teams to play for reportedly in all of baseball, if not the funnest team to play for reportedly in all of baseball, uh, at least by what the players say. Um, you know, it just it, it, if you're a, a fan of the Padres, it went from being a very meh team to being like so exciting. You have pitching, you have guys who are for the future, guys who are, you know, for the future that are good, that are good. Now you have an owner that, that is okaying moves by your GM to add guys, regardless of what you already have. Like there were moves that they made where it was like, okay, they got Kim, but where are they going to play him? Okay. They got pro far, but where are they going to play him? Okay. They got, you know, Caratini, but where, you know, that's not a bad thing. People get hurt. In fact, these days, every team has like one of their regulars go out for like the whole year or like a huge portion of the season. So, um, no, it's really exciting if you're a Padre fan right now. Um, you had the winter meetings and then basically immediately following when the winter meetings happen, your team like became amazing. Like I went to the winter meetings when they were in San Diego, like two years ago. It was fun. It was a really fun time. I mean, it wasn't quite the way the winter meetings are where, when they're in Vegas, like that was another, you know, experience entirely, but it was nothing's like Vegas. There's only one place in the world like Vegas. That's Vegas. So, well, I wouldn't say that like the Dubai is pretty Vegas like and certain parts of like Times Square is pretty Vegas like, but like nowhere is, you know, going to be that way for the whole city, except for maybe Dubai. And, you know, maybe there's a, there's a place in China, I forget what city it is, that is absolutely wild as well for like technology and whatnot. So there's a couple. All right, fine. All right. I digress. All right. But like, like- <laughs> I'm like, wait, okay, maybe there are. Wait a second. And then that one. And then that one. No, but <laughs> it wasn't quite what it was in Vegas for sure. But it was a fun time. I, you know, anyone who wants to go to the winter meetings, you know, I say go for it. But you have to know what you're getting into. We'll definitely at some point do a podcast in the future mm-hmm. where we're talking about the winter meetings. But um, 
you know, the pluses and minuses to going. I've been now a couple of times. Um, I'm going to go, you know, this, this, this winter, assuming they have it. I don't think that they're not going to have it. Like they, they didn't have it last winter. Uh, I mean, it was, they, they had it, but they had it for people who are like uh, GMs, uh, owners, you know, front office members. So it wasn't really um, nothing I could really do, but yeah, no, th- this December I'm going to be there. So, um, but yeah, no, basically ever since, ever since San Diego hosted it, they have been a phenomenal team with regards to making moves making the smart moves, accumulating talent, doing what they have to do to put themselves in a position to win championships. And I think that that's kind of the key here. Like they got pitchers because pitchers win you championships. They got brilliant catchers because brilliant catchers win you championships. Kurt Suzuki is a huge example. Um, You know, he, he foiled the Astros strategy in 2019 stop them from, you know, cheating themselves to a second one. You know, he, he, he did that. He did that. He conducted that. Kurt Suzuki did that. So it's not because Kurt Suzuki has a great arm. You know, it's not because Kurt Suzuki, you know, can block balls better than anyone. It's because he's brilliant. He's been in the game for years. You know, Eric Hosmer has amazing playoff statistics. You know, uh, Machado does really, really good in big moments. Tatis is probably one of the most talented players I've ever seen. You know, and he's capable of stealing home and hitting a ball 500 feet. So as well as playing a stud shortstop, um, you, know, you add on Will Myers being able to hit for power, hit for contact and run the bases that he, uh, at the caliber he's able to add pro far. I mean, this is a team that could totally win a world series. They have guys who are that caliber of player. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm impressed with everything. Like, don't get me wrong. I like to see a team where if you're looking at their roster, you know, it's fairly full, but it's fairly full with guys who all individually have their role. And there's definitely tons of guys on their 40-man roster who kind of don't necessarily have their role figured out. But the way that they built their roster, that's completely okay. Like, they've got so many starting pitchers that whichever starting pitchers, you know, get hurt or, you know, haven't figured it out this year – they're going to be fine. And, you know, they have a bunch of relief spots open. So, you know, if you have to put a starter in the bullpen, you can do that. And that can help out things in the short term, but also in the big innings, when they need to get things done, they have guys like Pomerantz. And for like the ninth inning, they have guys like Melanson, got guys like Emilio Pagan. They got like Craig Stammen, like the, like they have guys who can handle the roles that they need typical bullpen guys to handle. Like, this is just going to be such a fun roster to watch just come together over the course of this season. I think they do stand a really high chance of knocking off the number one team in their division. So, and uh, that'll do it for me, Chris, you got anything to say? I mean, I thought this was going to be a bash of Palooza. It was actually not a bash of Palooza. It was a pretty, decent and tame you know for for talking about astro standards it was pretty pretty tame um <laughs> so, for me for me right yeah, i'm like for for james it was actually pretty tame um so yeah no 
I, I mean, you know that I agree with you 100%. You know, we did those first two episodes on the Astros cheating scandal. So I expect nothing less, actually, than talking about them as how they are. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, I expect, I expect absolutely nothing less. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like I, I had so much vitriol for the Astros in those episodes. And I feel like this is just like, you know, the, now that I'm at this stage of just like, I, I guess I'm accepting, you know, the, the current. But it happened. Like, it happened. It's, yeah. This is the state that we're in. And yeah. I mean, that doesn't mean that I'm going to move on from it. You yeah. Know? You don't have to. And you don't have to. No. But I can't I acknowledge it. And <laughs> You're like, no. Like, I can't acknowledge it and just be like, you know, my emotions aren't where they were, but I, I, they, they still haven't changed what yeah. emotions. Like, yeah. like it's, it's definitely the same emotions, but it's just because time has passed. They're, they're died down. Mm. So I find that, hey, when that happens, I, you know, I, I find that I'm much more able to explain myself. Mm-hmm. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm just disappointed. And, and, like disappointed in the scumminess of them so Mm -hmm. i mean i get it i totally get it i was that was dumbfounded when you first told me i was like yo and i'm like and nothing happened but yeah whatever it's like nothing (laughs) whatever so listen everyone as i said last time we're already planning our next live stream we've got the plan we we roughed out the details in the last episode if you listen to it if you haven't you need to go to it you need to go listen to it and we will be talking about it more soon make sure you subscribe to the newsletter find out what's going on what we're listening to what's being watched and as always tune in next time see ya